sweet little furry raven. Yep. It's my favourite cuddly toy. He's a good furry cuddly toy. Is his name Quoth? Yeah, obviously. I was going to talk a bit about Blues Brothers and my Blues Brothers origin story. Yes, please It's do. a fun story, but way too long to put in the main podcast. Mm-hmm. But did you enjoy watching it? Um, you are yeah. allowed to say no. I mean, it was fine. <laughs> I mean, um, you know me in films. I'm I'm happy to binge watch six hours of an episodic TV program, but I just resent anything that's more than two hours long by default. Yeah, same. And I don't know why. Yeah. Um, I, I, feel, I feel like Blues Brothers is just one of those movies that the nostalgia is a big part of why people love it so much. Like The Princess yeah. Bride, I just couldn't get into that much because... It's it's a good film, but it's dated and it's yeah, yeah, in mean, people's memories. <laughs> when I say I love the Blues Brothers, like I suggested people watch it because it's so heavily referenced in soul music, and I think this is probably oh, yeah. like one of the first ones where it specifically references one thing quite so much. Like Moving I, Pictures was lots of movie references, and this is yeah. I'm definitely glad you made me watch it because there are big bits in here that I remember going what the fuck is this the first time I read it so yeah. and now I'm like oh right it's a yeah it's, it's a, a play by play yeah <laughs> yeah but I never it's I don't like being that person who's like oh my god you haven't seen but you have to it's a classic mm-hmm. because that's obnoxious and I'm not going to list all the classic films I haven't seen because we'll get tweets we did do a little live tweet of the uh we did do the Blues Brothers live the Blues tweet. Brothers if anyone wants to dig through the recent archives of I don't know, I did a bit much, did I? I think I stayed in pretty high spirits. I was in a good mood. No, I think we kept you positive. The only and the only time I got annoyed with the film, honestly, was like right near the end. There was about just half an hour of fucking cacophony. I don't mean the music. I sound like an old man. I mean just the siren. siren yeah, the, the, the sirens. <laughs> yeah, the massive car chase. And yeah. at the same time, like the dog was being a dickhead. And I was like, yeah. muted the film and dealt with it. From there, but. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I have to, not to be like the, ooh, fun film facts, fun film facts, but... It was, Dan <laughs> it was Dan Aykroyd's first ever script and he didn't really have anyone telling him no for at least for the original script. So he wrote in all this ridiculous, expensive stuff. And then I, hence it's one of the most expensive comedies ever made. And I think the studio just kind of went, okay, I mean, this is ridiculous, but like we could see how many cop cars we could trash in a single scene. And that's why you end up with this massive, ridiculous car chase that broke records for how many cars were destroyed in a single film. It's worth doing i think just yeah just for seeing a pile of fucked up cop cars but yeah no i enjoy that <laughs> but at the same time it is very loud the end of the film drags 80s films do that the last half hours mm. of 80s films could always be edited down to 10 minutes absolutely yeah i wonder what that's about apart from maybe the princess bride but i don't know how much of that I is nostalgia. The ending. Yeah. but yeah no so blues brothers origin story like the reason i love it is less mm. it's a classic and more because it's got like huge fond memories of me because 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 long long time ago so back when i was like i think i must have been about 10 years old i have family who live in vermont and we went out to stay with them for christmas and because of a weird thing with when i finished school when my sister finished school my mum and i flew out a week before and then my dad and sister came out to join us okay which meant we had separate flights back even though we were traveling back on the same day so my dad and my sister were driving to Boston and then flying out direct, whereas my mum and I were flying from Vermont to Chicago and then connecting and flying back to England from there. Okay. And this was 30th of December. It was the day before New Year's Eve. Okay. So my dad and sister make it back fine. My mum and I, our flight out of Burlington gets delayed. My, and 
my mother is incredibly good at arguing in airports. Okay. It is, she had so many dramas traveling as a younger woman that she, and she's not, not a dick. She'd never go full Karen or anything. Yeah, yeah. She was just always very calm and very polite and got things sorted. So we found out the flight was delayed. They managed to move us onto a later flight out of Chicago. She had some mobility issues and the later flight was the other side of O'Hare Airport. And it's a big airport. Mm. So she'd even arranged for someone to meet us off the flight at Chicago with a wheelchair to get her across the airport. Oh, wow. Which was hilarious. I was, because I was young and I'd been given those trainers that had the wheels in for Christmas. Oh, hell yeah. I was wearing those. Oh, I never had those. I'm jealous. So when this guy turned up with a wheelchair and he looked at little me and he was like, can you run with us? And I was like, I got wheels. Ah, uh, yeah. So I roller skated through Chicago airport with this guy, this madman pushing my mum along in a wheelchair. We get to the gate and our flight has just left. Fuck. With our luggage on it. Fuck. However, because my mum had so many issues flying, she had already packed like a change of clothes and toothbrush and everything in our carry-ons in case this happened. Uh And because she's very good at airports, she managed to get us a hotel for the night, spending money, taxi fare, uh, money for food, and put onto a flight the following day upgraded to business class. Nice. (laughs) But then, of course, we were stuck in Chicago for 24 hours and needed to kill time. Mm -hmm. And mum used most of the... Mum really loved the Blues Brothers. Her and my dad both really loved this film. Mm -hmm. So most of that spending money got spent on cab fare, driving around Chicago, finding all the locations from the Blues Brothers. Great, great, yeah. And taking photos so that my dad could see with like a disposable camera. (laughs) And I was 10. I had no idea what was going on. I'd never seen this film. Yeah, yeah. So we end up flying back over New Year's Eve, which doing an overnight flight on New Year's Eve in business class, they just kept bringing champagne around when we were crossing datelines. So mum oh, right. out. <laughs> I obviously was not given champagne because I no. was 10 years old, which I was very upset Same. about because at home I would have been given champagne. Mm. This is a lot about who I am as a person. Anyway, so we finally make it home on New Year's Day at like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And because I had had no idea what was going on and mum was like I can't wait to develop these photos and she couldn't wait to show my dad and tell him all about everything we'd seen in Chicago from the Blues Brothers she was like okay so Joe doesn't understand so I was jet lagged and confused and they were just like just sit here and they just put the VHS in and they were like and watch this movie which is probably not a completely appropriate movie for a 10 year old and a lot of the jokes went over my head I was about to say all of the inappropriate jokes aren't obvious ones so I think it's fine isn't it I mean yeah, I don't think I even asked what a prophylactic was. Exactly. Um, and I wasn't told for many years because Catholic. And like the slightly sad part of the story is that uh, like my father got sick a few months later and passed away. So that was his last New Year's and we didn't get to spend it with him. And obviously we didn't know at the time. Yeah. But it means like the, one of my fondest memories is being very jet lagged and confused on New Year's Day and just put in front of this video of the Blues Brothers and it's like, this is why we went to see all of those things yesterday or the day before. We don't really know what time is right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. And so then like a few years later, when, because I tried Discworld once and couldn't get into it because I was too young, but mm. a friend of mine was reading through Discworld and had just finished soul music and knew I loved the Blues Brothers. And he was like, here you go, you'll like this one. That was what got me into the Discworld. Right. There you go. This is a significant book. This is, this is why it's one of my favourite books. And I think we should talk about it. Well, I suppose as we're here with like a quite a lot of notes about it and the book in front of us. And the small cuddly toy raven. Yeah. 
What? Oh, I can't list the. Do the list. Which list? The the list that everyone quotes from it. We've got. Oh, it's 106 miles to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Should we make Take a it. podcast? Yes. <laughs> Let's make a podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tree Shall Make You Fr- I'll wait till that's gone past. In the distance, sirens. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well so far. Hello and welcome to the Tree Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And today is part one of our discussion of soul music. Yeah, Joanna's favourite. One I'm of excited. You are excited. It's very sweet. I have a raven. Yes, Joanna's holding a cuddly raven. What have you named the raven, Joanna? I've named it Quoth because I'm unimaginative. Of course you named the raven Quoth. I like it. It's very sweet. I can't imagine what you call it other than Quoth anyway. It would be silliness to call it anything else. Uh, Note on spoilers before we get started. This is a spoiler light podcast. Obviously heavy spoilers for the book we're on, Soul Music. But we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series, and we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there, so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. A journey across a distant living room floor, which is at least like <laughs> an acre, and it's a surface, but not a carpet. <laughs> that that whole section confused me very much. I liked it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that bit. I enjoy this book. It's one of my favourite books. Yeah, as I've mentioned. I don't think we've got anything to follow up on. Do you have anything to follow up on? Um, no. Excellent. I can remember. Apologies to the listeners for all the things we haven't followed up on. I'm sure they knew what you were getting into by now. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't expect things of us. Some pure expectations. If you'd like us to follow up on anything, do tweet us. We might read it. Sure. I did, I did. I I replied to a tweet with useful information this morning. I'm banging microphone. That's not useful, is it? <laughs> you sourced a Tumblr post. I'm very impressed. Well, the the trick to sourcing Tumblr posts is you cannot use Tumblr search function because yes. it is the biggest piece of trash I've ever seen. You just need to take an obscure sentence or sentence fragment from the post and Google search it in quotes, and then it will come up. Excellent. We've learned so something go. today. Yeah. So. Would you like oh, to introduce us? Yes, sorry. <laughs> Would you like to introduce us to the book Soul Music, Francine? Sure. Soul Music is, I believe, the 16th Discworld novel. It was it released, is. published in 1994. It's a, I'd say, one of the cult favourites. It's one of the favourites amongst a certain type of person who understands things like music references. <laughs> um, I definitely not one of my favorites and definitely one of Joanna's so it'll be an interesting yeah. one to go through <laughs> like I, I I already did the long rant about why I love the Blues Brothers and why mm. I love this book in association but I think also part of it is I read this was the first Discworld Discworld I read that got me into reading the series because like yeah. I said I read Color of Magic and Light Fantastic but I was like eight and didn't like them yeah because I was eight yeah <laughs> um and they're not really good books for eight-year-olds they, they probably are for some eight-year-olds not for me no I mean yeah, you want to you want to start out with yeah. a Tiffany. So I read this at the age of I, I think I must have been about seventeen, yeah. and I was also very heavily into my being into music phase because, yeah. quite frankly, I was trying to impress boys I was hanging around with. Yeah, teenagers be teenagers. Yeah, I did that. Which, to be fair, you know, some of the music I 
tried to be really into has stuck with me much more than the boys I was trying to impress. <laughs> I'm not sure I ever, I'm sure I did at some point, but I, I don't recall ever trying to be into music more than the bare minimum. I'm just very bad at it. I don't, yeah, we'll talk I about put, that a bit more later, I think. Yeah, I did. Put, I put the effort into being cl- into classic rock because I wanted to go to Download Festival and there were lots of classic uh, sure, rock acts. Sure. And then that was all very fun. Mm, yeah. Right then. So, shall I talk about what happened in this section? Yes, do. Re- 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 recap for us, as we are, in theory at least, a recap podcast. Yeah, sometimes we talk about the books. Mm. So, in section one of Soul Music, we open with a brief summary of previous Discord novel Mort, and we learn that after the, after the events of that story, Mort and Isabel had a child. On a dark and stormy night, a, cult, a coach rolls over a cliff, and yes, death could have done something. We meet Susan, recently orphaned, though surprisingly nonplussed about it. She disappears from an interview with her teacher, Miss Butts. We meet Imp, a bard from Lamados, recent winner of a beautiful harp and determined to be the best musician the world has ever seen. Death gets introspective. Susan reflects on weirdness and Imp heads for Ankh Morpork, concrete jungle where dreams are made of. In Death's domain, trusty servant Albert frets in the kitchen as Death doesn't come home. Death has set out to learn the art of forgetting by way of a holy man. Imp's first attempts at busking in the big city lead to an education about the Guild of Musicians and their proclivities towards unlicensed performers. In the offices of the Guild, he meets Glaude and Lias, fellow musicians, and the trio learn that the Guild license is way out of their budget. Death wanders and wanders as the musicians grab dinner. They discuss getting gigs to get the Guild some guilders, and Imp's heart meets a tragic end. Luckily, there's a handy shop around the corner that's definitely always been there and sells all sorts of marvellous instruments. With the assistance of Lias's diamond teeth, Imp acquires a new and mysteriously clever guitar, and Lias picks up a new drum kit. Meanwhile, back at the Quirm College for Ladies, Susan's class is interrupted by the death of rats. That night, with assistance from a talking raven, the rat tries to impress upon her the importance of the disappearance of her grandfather, who is deaf. Well, the raven's not allowed to say. The next day, Binky arrives for Susan at the school stables. As the boys back in Ankh-Morpork prepare for their first gig, Susan goes for a late night chat with the Raven before taking a ride on Binky to Death's Domain and learns that she may have inherited some Grim Reaper-like qualities. After an overnight and more fretting from Albert, Susan heads out the following night, scythe in hand, to do her duty. Meanwhile, at the mended drum, our misfit bands of musos prepare to play. Susan severs the threads of a brave warrior and meets a few Valkyries before heading to Ankh-Morpork and a riot at the drum. Just as Imp almost loses his life, he strikes a chord and music fills his timer before Susan can swing the scythe. Post-gig, the band are amazed, the wizards who watched are feeling wild, and the librarian gets excited over an organ. As the band discusses name changes and the need for a keyboardist, Susan investigates the mysterious music bending history to save Imp's life. Mm. Yeah, humans are shit at this job, aren't they? Yeah, it's a theme. That's the same. Susan's better than Mort was, I'd say. But um Yeah, this is I won't go into like the huge ramp, but obviously I said as we get into mid-stage Discworld, I'm looking at the parallels these books have two previous books, and it is quite interesting. Like this doesn't echo a story the way some of them have, but there's mm. definitely the big sequelness to Mort. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which um takes us neatly to helicopter and loincloth watch and the things that we're keeping track of. Oh yes. Um, loincloths implied especially as with Lias God's sake Joanna there's a loincloth again why am I spotting these and you're not I'm sure I'd know the loincloth laser isn't it no 
Oh, a holy sorry. man sat, un- sat under a holy tree, legs crossed, hands on knees. He kept his eyes shut in order to focus better on the infinite and wore nothing but a loincloth in order to show his disdain of discly things. Page okay. 27 in mine, a bit earlier in yours, I'm guessing. Yeah. I didn't pay enough attention during the holy man sequence. This this was actually the really hard thing about doing notes for this book because I know it so well and I've read it so many times. I did find myself missing stuff and having to go back because, you know, when you read a book, you've read a million times and you kind of... Yeah, I did that with Reaper Man a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, so I can I can be excused on that loincloth. Okay. Um, call- <laughs> I wasn't going to punish you, I'm just... <laughs> okay, I'm calling Binky our helicopter representation. Sure. It's just flying. that you go so far to stretch for these things <laughs> when there are proper references. Right, as far as I'm aware, there's no actual helicopters in this book, okay, so well, I'm allowed to... All right, fine. Well, actually, I think you'll find them. But... <laughs> actually? Okay, no. Sorry, yeah. But for other things we're keeping track of, we don't open on a turtle, we open on the previously on with Mort. And mm-hmm. we've only had one other book where we've had a previously on so far, which was... No, Lords, was it either Lords, Lords and Ladies is Abroad? Lords and Ladies was telling yeah. us why everyone was just coming back after several months. Excellent. Okay, and that had and it had a bit of a Weird Sisters preview anyway, so everyone was caught up on Margaret and the Fall. Yes, it was done in slightly different tones. This one wasn't it, but yeah, um, it was more of an actual previously on, whereas this yeah. is kind of a a prologue that makes it very clear what the events of Mort were. Yes. Um, and what was the other thing? Oh, yeah. The only other thing I've been keeping track of is the state of the drum, and it is currently mended. Mended drum, mended. Mended drum is mended. Excellent. And did he say something about the librarian? Not explained. Not explained. Not explained. He is just very much there in his ape like presence. I think we're That's beyond nice. explaining the librarian at this point. I think we've always been beyond just explaining the librarian personally, but took, oh, yes. well, it took a little while for reality to catch up with us. <laughs> Oh, and obviously death is present in the book. We still haven't had a yeah, book without death. So, I felt yeah. that went without saying. <laughs> yes, you'd have to really skip over a few bits. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe your favourite quote is before mine. Oh, it is, it is, it is. Uh, as you quite rightly said in your summary, there are there is a dark and stormy night. It is page 11 on mine, and it goes, where to finish a dark, stormy night, a coat? Horses gone, plunging through the rickety, useless fence and dropping, tumbling into the gorge below. It doesn't even strike an outcrop of rock before it hits the dried riverbed far below and erupts into fragments. Uh, I thought that was very good. Well, a a fun little reversal of the normal we begin on a dark stormy night because we Mm. are kind of beginning, but also we're ending. So like we're ending the last book with the, the cliche beginning of this new one. Mm. And I thought it was very good in a very practical way, understated, as it turns out, death of a main character or main character of a different book, but still, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that the book never says Mort and Isabel died and were also Susan's parents. Yeah. Because the book assumes you are slightly more intelligent than that and can work it out from that. Mm -hmm. But it also means with that sort of foreshadowing moment with the coach at the beginning, what everything that happens at the end of the book has much more impact, especially because we've got a bit of... It's very good foreshadowing throughout this book, actually. Yeah. But we've got a hint of timey-wimey about the whole affair. Yes, indeed. My sincerest apologies to listeners for using the phrase timey-wimey. Oh, yes, and of course, sorry, the second part of this quote was, uh, then the oil from the coach ignites and there is a second explosion, 
out of which rolls, because there are certain conventions, even in tragedy, a burning wheel. Um, a vehicle exploding after it's crashed is my favourite media trope. It's definitely not my favourite, but it's my favourite right this second. Um, and The Simpsons plays on it very well with just randomly exploding vehicles after tiny little impacts and that. <laughs> or, yeah, um, I, and I just guffaw every time. I'm very easily pleased with, a, with an exploding vehicle. Futurama also does it very well. I'm rewatching it at the moment, and there are a lot of really good moments. Yeah, clearly, Matt Groening's one of his favourites too. <laughs> yes, I wonder if Matt Groening ever read any Pratchett. I feel like he must have done. I always assume comedians have yeah. uh, comedy writers, but I suppose that there must be some who haven't. But so interesting. Yes. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Sorry. Anyway. Tangent. I will keep. I will not keep us on track. My You're going to have to try. I'm not going to do well today. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can do this. I got this. Listeners, I should never be given this responsibility. <laughs> Your quote, my darling. I went with a silly one because I know I'm all going to get, I'm going to get very dramatic and introspective by the end of this book. Uh, this is Susan in her literature class. She listened with half an ear to what the rest of the class was doing. It was a poem about daffodils. Apparently the po- poet had liked them very much. Susan was quite stoical about this. It was a free country. People could like daffodils if they wanted to. They just should not, in Susan's very definite and precise opinion, be allowed to take up more than a page to say so. She got on with her education. In her opinion, school kept on trying to interfere with it. Around her, the poet's vision was taken apart with inexpert tools. Mm. God, do you remember how much school would ruin really good things for you? God, yeah. Um, I was very lucky in that I had extremely good English teachers for almost my entire time at school which I think is why I carried on as a career in it but um even so poetry never survived the no practice has the rather inexpert dissection um quite a lot of the books did and that's a credit to the teachers I had so I still love To Kill a Mockingbird um and the the haunting of Elizabeth Cray the two I think of off the top of my head as really loving partly because of school yeah I had I had a couple of really good English teachers I did the A-level as well for English literature um but I also had some dreadful ones and yet poetry just didn't survive so the problem at least at GCSE level so for non-English listeners this is GCSE is the exams we do around age 16 and then A-level is one of the options what you can do from age 16 to 18 mm-hmm. uh but so for GCSE I had a teacher who really wanted us to enjoy what we were studying but also was very restricted by, I have to teach you how to pass an exam and get to the grade you need. Yeah. Where there was a bit more flexibility in A-level, which meant the the stuff we studied with the good teacher, we did some Gothic literature, we did Angela Carter in the Bloody Chamber. Mm. Um, uh, we did, before the Gothic Literature Unit, we did Streetcar Named Desire, and that's still one of my favourite plays after studying it. But unfortunately then with the shit teacher we did Dracula and I've never quite been able to read Dracula again I don't think you need to do you no don't from by, by all accounts it's shit I've yeah, never read Dracula as my confession here listeners or I, I possibly have but it would have been as a teenager and I don't remember it now I, I, I honestly can't remember if I've read it I know that Bram Stoker was a prick yeah I would like to try reading it again I feel like I've got enough distance considering it was over a decade ago God, it was over a decade ago. I will read it at some point. That's definitely one that we... I think maybe supplementary reading when we get to Carpe Joculum. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. We could uh, put, put it in for the book club entry. Yes. 
us and a couple, us and another friend of ours have decided to read the classic book a month because we don't have enough scheduled reading in our lives. And um, <laughs> I've nearly finished the one that we were meant to read last month. Yeah, same. Oh, I know. I said I'd do it before I got to sleep, but then when sleep came, I was not going to turn think- it away. It's a really short book as well. I just haven't picked it up and read it. I know. Um, and then we've got G.K. Chesterton this mm. month because... You got to choose. Because I got to choose and I've been meaning to read um, A Man Called Thursday, whatever it's called. Mm. Uh, the one that Pratchett really liked anyway. Because <laughs> everything using, ties back to this. <laughs> you're sneakily using our book club to do research for the podcast, aren't you? <laughs> To be honest, my next choice was going to be 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and mostly because I keep seeing Tumblr posts about how gay it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> we should have done that this month, then. Oh, yeah. Happy Pride Month, Joanna. I'm oh, yes, nice to you Pride. this month, aren't I? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, everyone has to be nice to me this month because I'm queer. That's how Pride works. I think so, yeah. I think that's all I'm doing to celebrate Pride is telling people to be nice to me and doing bisexual <laughs> eyeshadow colours. I look forward to seeing that. <laughs> anyway, sorry characters bisexual lighting is very flattering it looks so good on me yeah i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> right characters uh susan is canonically bisexual she's not canonically bisexual but i've decided she i was is. gonna say did I miss <laughs> no i just decided <laughs> you can't just just decide what's canon <laughs> Look, if I don't get enough queer representation, I'm making my own. Fine. I'm headcanoning Susan as yeah. bisexual. And it's never said that she's not. That's fine. Exactly. And she's got the vibe. She's got the, yeah, it's the vibe. No, I actually think Susan's a really interesting character mm. because... So th- this is not the first time we've had a female protagonist, but I think it's one of the only times we get sort of a young female protagonist. Obviously, Margaret's quite young, but she's very much there as a foil to Nanny and Granny. I feel like Margaret being quite young is like our age young, though, you know? Late yeah. 20s, early 30s. Yeah, right, fine. Young compared to the witches. Exactly. And we, obviously we had Esk and we talked a lot about... Uh, it, mm. it, I'm not saying Pratchett doesn't write young women very well. He obviously does. But Susan, for me, this is exciting. Again, because... It's, it's a one big of, upgrade from Isabel. It's a big upgrade from Isabel. Yeah. Um, th- again, one of the first Discord books I read. I think this is the first time I ever read a fantasy book with a female protagonist. Jesus Christ. Specifically a young female protagonist. That wasn't like (laughs) a love triangle romance, young adult thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And I have nothing against love triangle romance, young adult thing. That's that's a perfectly good genre. But I think the only other like young woman I'd really experienced in fantasy before this was Hermione and Harry Potter. Oh, God. I read a lot, a lot of fantasy when I was a kid and I must have, but I can't think of any. I mean, there was, I suppose there was Narnia. I mean, kids' books. There must have been kids' books, right? There were kids' There were kids books, like kids' yeah. kids' books. Like and there young was... adult. No, I can't think of any of the one. Or Love Triangle and yeah. adult. Yeah, no, it would have been later on that I read. You put me onto a lot of the um, the, the feministy fantasy yeah. stuff. So There was, I suppose there's... Less said about sci-fi, the better. Yeah. <laughs> There's Arya in the Aragon books, but she is not the main character and mostly there for the main character to fancy. Yeah. Adorable. She, I do. I still sort of have a fondness for the Aragon books, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I loved them at the time. I don't have any intention of revisiting. I, I might at some point. I quite like them. So, yeah. So, Susan was really exciting for me. And I like that she is 
quite complicated and she's inconsistent within mm-hmm. herself. Like some people would point at it and go, this is bad writing because she thinks like this, but also does this. And it's like, no, that's, that's, that's a, a teenage teenager. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's, a person generally, but definitely a teenager. She's so determined to be firmly logical and not swept up in nonsense. Yeah. And she, it's interesting that Pratchett was able to write that so well, considering he's very swept up in nonsense. I think he's he a bit of both, isn't he? He likes a, he likes a logical think through, but he's mm. also it's like Rihanna Pratchett is um written about the kind of person to wake his little girl up in the middle of the night to go mushroom hunting like he's a he's a nonsense merchant of course as, yeah. as we can see in front of us but um <laughs> in his real, real life as well you know I really like when she's you know the first time she sees the rat and she's sort of, you're not going to say oh my paws and whiskers are you <laughs> yes <laughs> but there's a bit later on she's um, very anti-twee when she's deciding whether to follow the rat into the night or not Mm. Um, the world offered two choices she could go back to bed or she could follow the rat which would be a stupid thing to do soppy people in books did that sort of thing they ended up in some idiot world with goblins and feeble-minded talking animals and they were such sad wet girls (laughs) they always let things happen to them without making any effort they just went around saying things like my goodness me when it was obvious that any sensible human being could soon get the place properly organized somebody's read a bit too much now on the (laughs) this I do like the Susan as the kind of anti-Susan, anti-Lucy. Well, she's almost like the Susan Susan in the later books, isn't she? And that um, Susan gets terribly punished for stepping away from childish things. Yes, she is. Or this terribly is, punished, banished from Narnia, you know. And, and that is the most problematic thing about the Narnia books. Absolutely. Susan's great. <laughs> but I, I like what she goes through. I like that she sort of so firmly logical in the face of the very clear supernatural and she sort of finds herself going along with it she's sort of, fine this is happening but there's a logical explanation and I won't be swept up in it obviously. absolutely obviously she's very scully I think from X-Files even yeah. down to the, the I, last week I saw a ghost but this week I'm going to completely disbelieve in other spooky things yeah X-Files is not bingeable for that reason yeah I tried god knows I tried <laughs> I have because I've still never young seen David Duchovny is uh is a proper weakness of mine <laughs> and then even, in a couple series time Gillian uh, takes over so <laughs> yeah. in even older David Duchovny is still a bit of a weakness oh, of no, mine he's it, the, the coke hit hard <laughs> he's still oddly handsome but... oh he is he is but he was just absolutely heartbreaking in the first two seasons oh, oh. he had the face oh, I mean he's, oh, he's I still got a face <laughs> I'm blushing <laughs> anyway but I, I anyway. like Susan's, Susan's journey, her journey. Mm, mm, the journey. But as we get to the end of this book and she's found herself somewhat swept up in the nonsense, she starts feeling very superior. She's sort of looking mm. down on the people and feeling them advanced because she feels like she's always been just a bit more I knew aware I was different. of the world. I knew I was better. I knew I was special. Every teenage girl's dream. Mm. And I like I what I am this- the protagonist. I am the main character. Yes. I knew my hair did this for a reason. <laughs> Speaking as someone who was a pink-haired protagonist for a long time, it's not oh, all you're still the main character, to... Joanna. Yeah, right. We fair. all know you're the main character. I'm very happy being the sidekick. You're my favourite sidekick, if that helps. Absolutely. I mean, well, you're tired with the couple. Oh of yeah, no. Ravens. I mean, I'm not going to try try and fight the raven. That would be silly. No, doesn't have harms. Joanna, talk I, about sorry. this book, please. I'm sorry. You know, I can't stay on topic today. <laughs> okay. And then, obviously, our other big main character is Imp, Imp E. Selen. Is that how it's pronounced? I have no idea. I, I really am sorry to our listeners now for the fact I do not know how to speak 
Well, Welsh you get for the L's, isn't it? Oh my God, no, I should have looked this up. Anyway, his name translates to Bud of the Holly, as in Buddy Holly. So we can, by the end of the book, we start calling him Buddy. But I'm Uh, imagining him as young Elvis, which I think is the point, isn't it? Well, yeah, this is one of the things I like, is that there is this constant joke that he looks a bit Elvish and it's meant to be Elvis. Yeah, yeah, dark-haired, what's it? Young Elvis was very handsome. He was. I googled him so I could get a proper mental image, um, which I don't. I don't usually try and get a fixed mental image of a character, but it just kept going on about it. So I just yeah, <laughs> it is kind of worth it for this one, especially because so much of what it references is yeah. quite. Although it's music, they're quite visual things. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that he looks Elvish is a joke that also pays off with one very funny final reference on like the last page of the book so I'll talk about that before the listeners start tweeting and saying but do you know it's because yes and we'll get there (laughs) and uh so yeah I'm like me today you're filling in the gaps (laughs) (laughs) I know don't hurt me (laughs) um and obviously his guitar which and I didn't bother listening as a whole separate character, but this is the mysterious guitar that doesn't quite look like a guitar and makes little noises at him and hums and purrs. I felt very sad about his harp. I was very sad about his harp. I will talk about his harp a bit more, but yes, poor little harp. But also in, we're doing the fun trope of swearing. I'm going to be the biggest musician in the world, you mm. see, and yeah. watching how he gets brought down by hubris. Yes. The, the teenage argument with Dad storming out of... Wales. The stone circle. Uh, <laughs> and of course, um, to this day, it's it's very concerning for young Welsh people that they basically have a choice either to be a rock star or a druid. Those are the only choices for the Welsh. Mm. <laughs> uh, we are trying to raise awareness about this. We'll be doing a campaign. <laughs> There'll be some slow harp music and long panning shots of Snedonia. Ah, <laughs> oh, I have a Wales music stone circle fact. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I'm saving it for this book, and I can't see where I'm going to shoehorn it in, so I'll tell you now. The um, Stonehenge, mm-hmm. you know, the stones come from Wales and were kind of carted quite a long way to wherever they are now. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Not half, Wales. Half a fact, is it? Not Wales, exactly. Um, if possible, that's because of their acoustic properties. Really? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, cool. if you bang, there are, there are a certain type of stone that if you bang them in certain ways, they make kind of notes. Uh yeah, I'll, I'll post a link to the article on that because it's quite quite interesting and I can't remember a lot of it off the top of my head, but I will. Yeah. Also remember, there is a third choice for uh, Welsh people. They can be bards, they can be druids, or they can be extras in Doctor Who. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. So, yeah. <laughs> so we don't need to do the awareness campaign. Who else have we got? We've got Death. Death is here, as we've said. I'm going to talk about Death a bit more later. And now later. But yes, he's gone wandering off again. It's a bit like Reaper Man, except... Susan stepped in, so yeah. we don't have a weird zombie wizard subplot. He's having a bit of a crisis after the death of his adopted daughter and apprentice, apprentice slash son-in-law. Yeah. yeah, it's all a bit complicated. We've got uh, Albert as well, who is hanging about, fressing in the kitchen, being he very Albert. Well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He does. He fries porridge, as it turns out. That's nice to know. Fried porridge does work. Does it? Why do you know well, that? Okay, so I wouldn't like make porridge and then fry it, but when I make nice porridge, I start by like gently sauteing the oats in some butter before I add any liquid. Oh my god! So they sort of toast a little bit. Yeah. 
well, now I'm going to try it. Okay. Yeah. Toast the oats <laughs> and some butter and then you start. I do that with your... risotto rice. Yeah. So same thing. Yeah. Okay. Except don't oh, add wait. all the dried mushrooms. Kind of. Yeah. You say that, I do a really good savoury porridge with dried mushrooms. And... No, no, I don't want that. Everyone thinks it sounds really weird, but it really works. No, yeah, I believe you. And I've tried savoury porridge and I understand what it's going for. I just can't get over the, the dissonance in my... I have, yeah. I, I don't think I've eaten enough sweet porridge to get really dissonant and out about it, to be fair. For the same reason, I can't really deal with grits. To uh, me, yeah. that's texture of semolina. Like, yeah, okay, that's fair enough. The key is generally more butter. Well, that's the key to everything. Just in now. life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Add more butter. Uh, an to entire life. butter. <laughs> Other spreads are available. <laughs> anyway, The Death of Rats is also oh, here. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, we are talking about a book. Mm hmm. It's fine, you're the one who's got to edit this. Well, yeah, well, you know what, I'm not gonna. It's just going to be a really <laughs> long, rambling, fucky episode. <laughs> when That's am fine. I going to edit this? <laughs> uh, yeah, The Death of Rats is around. I'm just, I'm glad he's still about. It just makes uh, me quite happy. He's a sweet little thing. It pleases me, sort of bopping about, going squeak. Just as well he is. Yes, handy for communication purposes. Mm. And also for communication purposes, we have a raven. We have. We have a raven. Named Quoth by someone, I can't remember the actual joke about why he's named Quoth, but it's something about the wizard not being very intelligent. It, not being very original. Think, yes. Yeah. And he lives with a wizard who I was really hoping I'd managed to spot a clever little callback, but he's not the same wizard from all. No, it's not. Um, I had to look that up. Cut angle? Cute angle? No, that's a different no, that's wizard the, Yeah, it's, it's cheese something or something. Yeah. That's a shame. It's I don't remember, but it's not the same. Yeah. But yes, we have Quoth and I've got my cuddly toy Quoth here. And we get the joke about refusing to say the N-word, which is yep. not referring to racism, but to the uh, Edgar Allan Poe poem, which is also why it's got Quoth. Brand new sentence. Not referring to racism, but to the Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I'm going to just read this stanza out just because I really love this poem. Mm -hmm. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Yeah. I love that fucking poem. It's great. Such a good poem. It's just so fun to read out loud. Mm. Like, it's satisfying. It's hard to stop. It's one of those things that you get momentum going and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I need to do more dramatic readings of Edgar Allan Poe's poetry. <laughs> sure <laughs> but That's not a right resolution now. not right now because we're making a podcast yeah. and we've got glod and lias mm -hmm. the uh dwarf and troll that hook up with imp to become a handy little band little trio which it's quite nice to see dwarf and troll just getting along not without needing an entire city watch story arc but they've just gone we're musicians let's hang out yeah exactly yeah in the yeah. same vain as the watch decided oh we're all watchmen so we're going to work together That's yeah okay. uh, and then who else we've got princess jade and gloria thog's daughter mm -hmm. another dwarf and troll pairing this one from the quorum college for ladies mm -hmm. uh which i wanted to note mostly because i believe gloria thog's daughter is the first time we've met a female presenting dwarf ah. that actually uses feminine pronouns is referred to as a daughter yeah so far all we've seen about Morecourt dwarves is that uh the men and women present as male are very beardy and use male pronouns. Yes. 
So it seems like it's kind of a concession to the school she's at, doesn't it? That she's agreed to leave the helmet off and plait her beard. Well, yeah, but the, the, she is obviously completely female presenting. She's been sent to a girl's school. Her name mm-hmm. is Thog's Daughter. Mm-hmm. She is not just female presenting for the sake of being at the school, if that no, makes sense. No, but she's doing those things. Yes, she's doing the concession, it said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the plaiting the beard and, and yeah. the, yeah, by, I, by female presenting, I don't mean looking female so much as using the pronouns and the name okay. and what have you. So, yes, that's just a fun thing to put a pin in because mm-hmm. that's a new thing for us with dwarves. We've got Mr. Cleet of the Musicians Guild. Mm-hmm. And we've all met this dude and I'm ready to stamp him. Yeah. yeah. He is the... Uh, he was not, by standard definitions, a bad man in the same way a plague-bearing rat is not, from a dispassionate point of view, a bad animal. Yes, he just comes in and leaks accounting everywhere. Yeah. No offence to accountants. I'm sure you're all lovely people. Sure. But no, yeah. Um, it's Yeah, it's a, that special kind of profit above all else, I mean. Yes. Yeah. The, the Weasley. Because he's not Weasley. just an accountant, is he? He's a CFO. Yes, and he's the Weasley, oily, slicky in with the hat, hat, tat laugh. Yeah. Uh, he laughed at things in inverse proportion to the actual humour of the situation. Yeah. Uh, he's just a very well-written villain in quite a few words. Mm. Yeah, and, and have... he, he kind of brings in the, the equity paradox, doesn't he? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Per- you can't perform until you're a member, and you can't be a member until you perform. Yeah. I assume that's what he was referring to in that little circular bit. Yeah, the equity paradox is fun. Equity being the uh, union for actors. But yeah, in the anyone UK. is. Yeah, <laughs> it's famously difficult to famously get difficult to get membership. It's the reason people change their names a lot because you can't have lots of the same names on the register, and they're also just not so very nice. Like pedigree organisation. Ah. Is that why pedigree dogs have silly names? Yes. I suppose that racehorses as well. Mm. Anyway, yeah, so we have Miss Eulalie Butts. Excellent name. Who runs the Quirm College for Ladies, uh, who has basically set this up as a school to keep girls occupied until they get married. Mm-hmm. But in a more educational manner than most of these schools would be, I think. Mm. It was a big and dangerous world out there, and a girl could do much worse than face it with a sound knowledge of geometry and astronomy under her bodice. Agreed. I like that whenever Miss Eulalie Butts is thinking, and I can't stop saying the name, it's really fun. Eulalie. When, whenever it's sort of from her point of view and she's, they are gels, not girls. Yes, gel. <laughs> for a clearer vision of what uh, the sort of school Quirm College for Ladies is, uh, I'm not sure if this has been revealed or not yet, but it's not a major spoiler. Lady Sybil uh, attended Quirm College for Ladies. Yes. This is exactly the sort of lady it makes, which I support. Yes. Obviously, as an actual person in real life, classism, rah, in the books, I find it rather amusing. And you've also written in the note for this section, please read the horse girl extra vowels bit out for me. Please. (laughs) I couldn't even do it in my head. (laughs) The trick to doing this is that you also have to really kind of abandon the consonants. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> the less you let your tongue move and lips come together when speaking horse girl, the better. Okay. 
and for clarification the, the brief fun story of uh, um god now i sound like a posh wanker but my family used to have shares in a couple of racehorses that's fine you've were... only brought that up a dozen times or so <laughs> um but it was like a really big syndicate and my dad was very much a big loud geordie bloke who'd done well for himself so when we went to meetings our table would be very loud and northern and uh, I do remember, and I was quite young, we were at the races and uh, the table was all being brushed and loud and a very, very posh couple had turned around to sort of chat to us. I just remember this woman saying in the most shoulders back, uptight voice, she and are you horsey people? <laughs> and were you? And were you, Joanna? <laughs> My father had just won £200 on a horse and announced very proudly that he he was in fact a horsey person excellent i won't do his geordie accent because i cannot do it justice not until you've had a couple not until i've had a couple and been within hair's breadth of an northerner yes <laughs> but yes the horsey girls oh i didn't know you rose and there's extra fees you know for keeping a horse very good and you've got no attack a bareback riding <laughs> You steer Ew. by the ears, yeah? Ew. Like that, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bareback. Bare you steer back. by the ears, yeah. 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 Okay. The yards are quite short. Yeah. They're not yeah, they're yeah. Okay. It's like a little little order. Okay. It's a little punctuation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, see. This is why I don't get on with horses. I just can't do the vowels. Yeah. You've got to really elongate the vowels, forget consonants. Mm-hmm. Throw in a yeah, you're sorted. Yeah. Okay. I, I do the yeah. I do the yeah. I do that already. That's fine. Halfway there. Um, we've got Conan and Nobby but I believe we'll save them till later we get an explanation it's not really a character but we get an explanation of the Hogfather Mm, a couple of our fancy characters winking into existence yes and anthropomorphic personifications yes the Hogfather is is without reading out an entire footnote because no one needs me to do that the Discworld Christmas except he throws sausages at people very uh, meaty Santa Claus it's very meaty Santa Claus. So it's, it's nice to see that wink into existence here. I liked the uh, possible origin story of a king just throwing a packet of sausages through a window. Yeah. I also like the brief reference to the Sandman who didn't need a very big bag of sand because it's implied he's just going around hitting people over the head with it. Yes. <laughs> and last one, and I've only put this in because I greatly enjoy it, but the Valkyries who come yeah, to collect... one of your favourite uh, tropes tropes not quite tropes it's like, not even really twist, a trope. twists on a myth <laughs> i i don't think i realized when i wrote it i have written a monologue from the point of view of a valkyrie and she's written as a very jolly hockey sticks yes valkyrie mm-hmm. and i don't think i realized at the time that i was basically doing this bit from the book and going what if that but half an hour of talking yeah i think yours was a bit different yours was kind of like middle class hostess with the most s and you know a yes. bit a bit of the jolly jolly hockey sticks but wasn't quite the singing mezzo soprano on a horse type no yeah, there's definitely influence there yeah yeah so it's nice to see myself influenced here but it does it makes me laugh i like the posh this is the hockey teacher valkyries susan compares them to her teachers from Quern college for ladies and the fact mm. that they run up and down a battlefield saying get, get some, some head, warrior. You nellies. Yeah. get some warrior you nellies <laughs> um yeah it's a bit bad of mine half the fact there i just learned the other day what a mezzo soprano was and now i've read it in a book so that's nice what is a mezzo soprano a soprano but a bit lower one down ah it's about what you are oh am i yeah, yeah i'm probably what i 
well, I used to sing soprano. Then I was a bit lower. I think these days I'm more alto. Yeah, version mezzo soprano. Yeah. I used to sing soprano, but it has been a while. I could I can probably mezzo soprano these days. Yeah, <laughs> with a bit of bit, bit of a warm up. Yes, it's been a long time since I did the high note of a hallelujah chorus in the cathedral. But <laughs> I tend to find some way at near Christmas of being in a room with good acoustics and busting out Oh Come All You Faithful. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like uh, Oh Holy Night for a, Ooh, for a little nice test one. of whether I can still hit a high note. Just about still. Quitting smoking helped. <laughs> I can still belt Oh Come All You Faithful. I can't sing the soprano descant anymore. Oh, yeah, no, fuck. Yeah, I used to struggle with that even as a teenager. Anyway, right. Sorry. <laughs> locations. Locations. Or nice. location. Locations. Clamados. Clocations. Clamados. <laughs> Am I doing to... that right? Is that the. Is it cl, isn't it? Clamados. Yes, Clamados. we learned how to Clamados. pronounce this at Clamados on the Clacks. Clamados, yeah. The uh, online Discord convention we took part in a while ago. Um, and this is obviously a Wales allegory. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the idea is that it's a bit Welsh, but the actual name is Sodom all backwards. Oh. And it's a reference <laughs> to God, I'm not even gonna try and say it out loud, but a Dylan Thomas had a fictional Welsh town that was the word buggerum all back bugger all or bugger I think it was buggery all. Oh. Backwards. Uh in I can't remember what it's called, but it's it started and it became the proto. Uh, it was the proto of under Milkwood. Okay, cool. Mm. So that's why it's called Clamados because it's a Dylan Thomas reference. Oh, look at him with the surprise little Dylan Thomas reference in amongst all of the. I, I don't think you can wander towards a Discworld Wales and not allow a bit of Dylan Thomas to seep in somewhere. <laughs> he just gets in, doesn't he? <laughs> I, I hear that Dylan Thomas can get through a whole size of a 50 pence piece. Can he? Oh, that might be rats. I don't know. That <laughs> might be Under Milkwood is one of my favourite things. You're never more due than 100 foot away from a Dylan Thomas in a. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I've got a Dylan Thomas right now. No. All right. <laughs> it's going to get dark. So, yeah, so that's Glamados. Um, Another location that I'm very excited to talk about is the fact that there's a mysterious shop that wasn't there yesterday and might not be there tomorrow, except it's also always been there. Literally all of your writing is directly influenced from Pratchett, I've learned over the last few months. (laughs) I've realised over the last few months how influenced (laughs) I was by Pratchett. I wasn't sure. I wasn't quite aware. So, uh, dear listeners who have been with us from near the beginning will remember how excited I got about this particular trope when we were discussing the Light Fantastic. Yes. And in fact coming across it in the light fantastic is what inspired me to eventually write a monologue set in one of these shots that I believe I read a bit of on the podcast um, way, way back over a year ago. Mm. Tragically, the monologue never got performed because a pandemic happened. Yes, the the, the, the global catastrophe, you understand. Yes, the global catastrophe slightly put beta theatre. But I thought I hadn't heard it. I was just, I was just trying to say, like, I know I've read it, but I was like, have I seen that? Did I miss no. it? No. It was supposed to go on in April 2020. Right. And so... Oh, well. <laughs> that didn't happen. So uh, at some point, some listeners might hear a version of it. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, but yes, I'm just very excited to have that because it's a trope I really love and it makes me giggle. It's fun. I like anyway. the whole... See, I know it's been there for years, but had it been there for years yesterday? Yes, I really like that line. A nice little... Uh... 
it's that weird phenomenon, like you get in dream memory logic, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit like deja vu. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, and then where else? We've got Death's Domain, which it's nice to revisit because it's always described so well. And I like seeing it through Susan's eyes of... Yeah, so many little details. Yeah. yeah, the Omega door knocker. I like yep. that. Omega being the, the literary symbol for ending. There's the uh, the bathroom as well. I really love oh, yeah. the way that it's all created and then someone else's, Albert's had to obviously build in these human touches so he can live there. Yeah, yeah. It's like a little, it's like a, a bird nesting in a cathedral or something, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And um, I'm going to talk about it a bit more next week because we sort of see a bit more of it again mm. through Susan's eyes and seeing the humanity and the what death does. The kind of description of how she could see the in-between, like she could see where the human limits were and where death's limits were, kind yes, of made me it, almost dizzy just reading it. I was like, oh God, it sounds like she got the wrong prescription or something. Like it's Because you have that moment of Albert, who's completely human, who crosses this infinite room comfortably because he doesn't see the infinite. And so then you have Susan, who's got a foot in each world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crossing the room like Albert, but seeing it like death. Yeah. I liked uh, the death's desk toy, the little... I think we talked briefly about desk toys at one point, didn't we? God, we've talked about a lot of shit on this podcast. um, (laughs) (laughs) I like that he's got one of these little... Uh, lead ball things except it just goes once Clunk. <laughs> very good well done You're very good Dave. like you guess that's the spirit you got the <laughs> you tried and then we've got um clash got horns going off outside now it's a very dramatic scenes on the um <laughs> on the main road out, road outside of the room i record in which is great but you know ambience. can't be helped <laughs> it's all ambience it adds to the experience it is um, an ambulance, actually. You mispronounced that. Uh, <laughs> that would have been much better if it was right after the siren. No, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> We've got Clatch and the Clatchian Foreign Legion, mm. uh, which is a reference to the French Foreign Legion, which I started looking up and then felt myself go down the rabbit hole. It's a very big Wikipedia page. Um, yeah, I didn't even, didn't even look, going to be honest. So I'm aware of the popular culture trope the french foreign legion people are running away to join the french foreign legion because uh no one will find them there and it's because the french foreign legion accepts people of all nationalities yeah and will uh you get french citizenship after you've been there for a certain amount of times or if you take a serious injury you get um french citizenship automatically Hmm. so that's where it started being an actual plot point in films that someone would run away to join the french foreign legion because he Otherwise, he'd die in a duel because he looked at a woman, uh, yeah, but from the wrong side of a fan on a Tuesday when it was only overcast slightly. We know someone who nearly joined the Foreign Legion. Do we? Chef Tony. Oh! He turned up and they were closed. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah. But, yeah, so then it became a silly joke in pop culture that you would be running away to join the French Foreign Legion and that's what's being referenced here the Clash right. Foreign Legion uh, no one remembers you yes you can forget your past no mm. one knows who you are obviously taken to a slightly more literal level yes death has uh, kind of misunderstood the metaphor but he's tried bless him oh he's trying he's trying uh, is that all our places 
I, that, that is, is all the places pretty much I've all the places, down. isn't it? So, little bits we liked. Mm. And we start with one of mine, the harp and the ship of Theseus. Oh. This is, um, uh, where's the actual line? This is fairly early on, thinking of uh, Imp's harp. Um, most of the harps in Clavados were old, but sometimes they'd need a new frame or a new neck or new strings, but the harp went on. Mm-hmm. And this then gets... The soul of it. The soul of it. And this also sort of comes up later when his harp gets broken and he says the soul is gone. Uh, so the, sh- um, <clears throat> the ship of Theseus is a, an axiom, a logic puzzle type thing. And it's this idea of if you took Theseus's ship and replaced every plank, every part of it mm-hmm. over time, would it still be the same ship? Yeah, or the much uh, simpler one of the, I've got the same axe I had for 40 years, but I've changed the handle on the head a couple of times. Yeah. The reason I'm uh, trying to sound clever by using the ship of Theseus axe. Everyone knows the uh, ship of Theseus. <laughs> it was in. It was a plot point in the finale of Division. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it became a bit of a meme, mostly with people posting pictures of the sugar babes and saying, are you aware of the ship of Theseus? Oh, I see. Very good, yes. <laughs> Again, for non-UK listeners, the Sugar Babes were a girl band where all members were replaced at least once. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times can you replace the members of the Sugar Babes and it's still the Sugar Babes? Yeah, I mean, once I got rid of Mutia, that was it. It was Mutia for me too. She was the soul. I had, I think I had a crush on her or I wanted to be her. I wasn't sure. It was that yeah, weird thing. Or, it's difficult yeah. when you're a preteen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So, yeah. So I like that because it's Good a thing. classical reference, Sterling. I say everyone reference. knows the ship of Theseus. Actually, I have no fucking idea. We could just be massive nerds. In my case, I I know of this theory, this logic puzzle, but specifically this logic puzzle as the ship of Theseus. I know because of One Division. And I'm really? Sure. Oh, I assumed, yeah. I assumed that come up in your mind no. philosophy stuff. No. Weirdly, that had never come up for me before. I mean, like again, the theory has the specific ship yeah, of Theseus yeah. of it hadn't. Oh, uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one of our listeners that's going, ship of Theseus. Anyway, anyway, two separate people, colon and knobs. They are, yes, well done, good. Um, yeah, I just like their little bit part dynamic in this. I think it's he's he's gotten down the little exchanges between the two of them perfectly now. And it's the nice bit of world building as well that you now have these characters with some regularity popping up in non-watch po- one, non-watch novels yeah. because they exist in that city. So, of course, they yeah. pop up and have a conversation at some point. Yeah, and having colon and knobs is like the perfect ones to put in there because Vimes disrupts any situation he's put in. Yes, he, and, and Vimes is all about the place. Carrot wouldn't just ignore things. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just like the... The little tangents and the flashes of the ridiculous conversations they have. So that, you know, salmon, Sarge, said Nobby. It is a fish of which I'm aware, yes. You know, they sell kind of slices of it in tins. So I'm given to understand, yes. Well, how come all the tins are the same size? Salmon gets thinner at both ends. Interesting point, Nobby. Um, I think... And then the next bit of plot happens. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's completely irrelevant to everything. Perfect. I love it so much. <laughs> it's I like also, it's like us. It's like watching us. <laughs> I also really like the uh, exchange between the two of them when they come across Imp, which is that's a harpy's playing, Nobby. Liar. No, it's the honest truth. I'm, <laughs> you've been waiting all your life to say that. <laughs> Considering this entire book is full of equally awful puns, I did like. Nobby being called out for that was like, how long have you had that one up your sleeve, you prat? 
The thing is, like, ever since reading this book, I have waited for an opportunity to make that fucking joke, and it has never <laughs> happened, mostly because I'm not sure what a liar looks like. <laughs> I'm assuming a harp. Yeah, must like a small one, maybe. I don't yeah. know. But you need you need to hang around more bards, I guess. Yeah, I don't play D&D. <laughs> Clearly, that's the problem. I've seen a harpist perform live once. I think they're, they're open for uh, for uh, Dustin. What's his job? Um, uh, from New Model Army. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember his name. I interviewed him. I should know his name. See, this is me with names. It's just, it's bad. I'll remember it's way easier. (laughs) I'm assuming we probably got quite a few New Model Army fans listening who are currently shouting at the podcast going, it's Justin! Yeah, I don't know if Mel listens to us or not. If she does, sorry, Mel. (laughs) Sorry, Mel. Anyway, the problem is all the people we know who are into New Model Army are so into them they're on first name terms with him and never use his surname. Exactly, yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah, literally, I met up with Mel the other day and she was like, oh, have you listened to Justin's new album? And I knew who she meant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway. Anyway. Floral clock. Yeah, oh, I like it. Um, This is one of those things where... I didn't I didn't realize that concept in my head had come from a Pratchett book because this is ah. one of the ones I've only read once or twice. Um the idea of a floral clock for years in my head has always been like this, oh, and then they'll open and close at certain times of the year or whatever. And I've never really been able to find a real life example of that. I was like, where did I get that idea? So I feel like it's somewhere in France that this happens. And no, it's it's somewhere in a Discworld book in a France allegory, maybe. Um yeah. <laughs> There's hints of France to Quern. Yeah, definitely. Uh, with all the Avec. Um <laughs> shit, sorry, what am I on about? Yeah, anyway, just the idea of having a floral clock with like uh flowers that open and close to, at certain times of day is absolutely delightful. It is a charming little idea, and I'm very glad to put it in. And it's stuck in my head for years and years with no idea of where it came from. So well, I'm glad we got there. Yeah. Uh general references. 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 General references. <laughs> Uh, anyway, sorry, I don't know how to salute. Um, <laughs> as with moving pictures, I'm not going to point out literally every music reference and every Blues Brothers reference, but I'm going to take a minute to point up some of my favourites. Yeah, you've because... got to do the big ones, haven't you? Because they're just so much a part of this one, more so than moving pictures, I'm going to say. Even. Yeah. You and can skim is... over the moving pictures ones, but you cannot do that with this book. And the first one is the reason, one of the reasons I wanted you to watch Blues Brothers before we watched it, which is uh, when the guys go out for dinner, blood us, DG fried rat, best damn fried rats right in the city. Okay, give me four fried rats and some dwarf bread and some Coke. And some Coke, it's so clever. Yeah. Four fried chickens and a Coke and some dry white toast. Which also means I now will always particular uh, imagine Gimlet as a dwarf Aretha Franklin. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Have you added a backing track to this? Oh yeah, you better think, think about what you try. Sorry, I'm not gonna sing at the poor listeners. They don't deserve that. I like that song. I like that song. Um, one of the other little moments was uh, in discussing sport at Querm Ladies College, and the fact that Mrs. Delcross, in her idea of a toga, practiced eurythmics in the gym. Yes. <laughs> I, I even noticed that one. Um, I'm just imagining someone in a toga doing aerobics style moves specifically to Sweet Dreams are made of this. I'm but with a very, making that a party. With a very like deadpan Annie Lennox facial expression for the entire time. Yes. Yeah, definitely into that. Sorry. Um, 
Uh, can't, be, can't be dancing on the podcast. Can't be dancing on the podcast. It's terrible for an audio medium. Um. Oh yeah, the Perfect names from an audio large. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the names I already mentioned. Imp, Hate me. <laughs> Imp's Imp and Buddy. Yeah. yeah, Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. Or Bud of the Holly, but Buddy Holly. Yeah. Uh, the other one I liked was Lias deciding to change his name to Cliff. Yes. And then whoever heard of a Cliff in the music industry? Never work. What's his uh, surname? Cliff Richard. No. Oh, the what, troll. Lias? Yeah. And he's Lias Bluestone, isn't he? Yeah, is he from Salt from Moving Pictures? Is he? He's not. No, from that was Blue pictures. John, wasn't it? That was Blue John. Yeah, uh, he it. becomes. Uh, he joins the Watch. Yes, that's. We it. talked about okay. him, but it's a bit of a callback to Moving Pictures when you had one of them uh, changing his name to Clint, and there was a similar <laughs> yeah, joke yes. of you'd never get a Clint in the movies. Yes, absolutely. So I like him sort of referencing his own joke again. That yeah. made me smile. And uh, Claude, is he a reference to anything? He, that's for the sake of another Blues Brothers reference, although we have also already had a reference to a dwarf named Glod, because there was someone who... Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. No, there was it was there was a King Midas joke about someone who... Oh, turned everyone to Glod, yes. Yes, everything he touched turned to Glod. <laughs> and then Gimlet down the road with his eyes like... Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> his eyes like that dwarf who runs the delicatessen around the road and looks a lot like Aretha Franklin. So yeah, those are the only ones I was going to put up for this. I'm going to have a lot more things in the next section. Good, yeah. I, I apologise um, for becoming unbearable. And then the only other thing I wanted to put up was the, it's less a little bit I liked, but more a brief fact check uh, on human diurnal rhythm, rhythms. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad you looked into that because that seemed like a rabbit hole I was not going to risk going down two hours before the podcast started. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I stuck to just reading the Wikipedia article and even then mostly for the sake of checking this fact just so I wouldn't go down a massive rabbit hole yeah, about how is, diurnal rhythms work. It, yeah, it's, it's not relevant enough to the podcast. Do <laughs> yeah. uh, but the book says that uh, when the house had human inhabitants, it tended to keep a 26-hour day because humans left to themselves adopt a longer diurnal rhythm than the 24-hour day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that fact is actually based on a study. Uh, I can't remember what year it was, but... It's uh, faulty research because they, although the humans were isolated from external stimuli like daylight, mm. uh, they didn't take into account the effect of electric lighting. Right. So humans still had access to light. Right. Uh, and that that had its own phase delaying lights. So, uh, so. But ones that were being turned off by someone else, on and off by someone no, else. No, the, the, the humans within the study could control the lights for themselves. But what would happen was they would. So the human circadian rhythm does tend to be about 24 hours. A lot more um, thorough research has been done with stricter parameters. Mm-hmm. In this particular study where humans found themselves adopting a 25-hour day, they would switch the electric lights off when they felt it was time to sleep, but that had had an effect on the rhythm that meant, then meant it took longer for them to sleep, which meant they... Ah, because it's not like a sunset kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that had this knock-on effect where oh. the days ended up just slightly longer. Would because still be relevant were... for Albert, though, I bet. Probably, yes. Because he'd be controlling the candles or whatever. Yeah. Lanterns, yeah. But, yeah. Ah, interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm glad yes. I didn't go down that rabbit hole. That, that's... I'm glad I didn't read about that, because that sounds interesting. It's something I say now. <laughs> it is quite interesting. I'm always very... Because there's, there's so many things that affect the human circadian rhythm. I mean, a lot of it is down to an individual human. I've done lots of research on 
sleep hygiene because I had lots of trouble sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously mental health has a huge effect on it. Uh, my I sleep hate the pattern. term sleep hygiene. I hate it. I, 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 as you know, have always suffered from insomnia and um, yeah. the, the term sleep hygiene annoys me as much as mindfulness does. Yeah, sleep hygiene implies some kind of negative yeah. judgment on the person who is struggling to sleep. And that's not what I mean. I just mean I have found ways of improving mm-hmm. my sleep pattern. Yes. Uh, which really both I- remembering to take vitamin D because my mental health has a massive effect on it. Mm. Um paying attention to natural light and trying to not look at my... I'm really annoyed that the whole drink water and don't stare at your phone right before you try and sleep both work for me. Yeah, well, you know, I know it's a thing and I'm sure it doesn't make it any better, but I have had exactly the same kind of trouble sleeping since I was a little girl way before smartphones and like I wasn't Mm. had lots of screen time or anything like that. So all in all, I'm meant to not go to sleep till 2am and it is a tragedy that the world will not allow that for me. Yeah. In my case, I only really worked on fixing my sleep pattern for when I'm like working and need to be up at six in the morning to be at work for eight. And that meant I needed to get to sleep earlier because I didn't want to be sleep deprived while handling knives. Yeah. Um, Like my natural sleep pattern is a lot more like uh, midnight to nine in the morning. Yeah, that's a lot of sleep. Midnight midnight slash Mm 1am and I wake up sort of between eight and nine. Mm. Um, But yeah, this is literally just what worked for me. And I think it's not the light from my phone it's what I look up look at on my phone yeah because I found if I did take my phone to bed but I was just reading a book on it it wasn't the light from the phone that was the issue it's the fact that if I was if I was reading a book on my phone it wouldn't affect my sleep pattern but if I was staying up till midnight looking at reddit or twitter that was affecting my sleep pattern because I was taking in too much information and getting stressed yeah yeah, anyway. I, sh- I need to get back to just reading a book, probably. But again, yes. it depends, depends on the book, doesn't it? Because obviously I used to stay up all night reading. Um, but well, This is why I've also taken to uh, really, really slowly rereading Lord of the Rings, and I keep that by my bed, and I tend to pick up that because it's familiar enough and nice enough, but I also I don't want yeah. to – I'm not desperate to keep reading and find out what yeah. happens next. Like, oh, what's the next what plot point in this <laughs> Because I know what happens book. next. <laughs> yeah. This actually takes us quite neatly on to the bigger stuff. You want to talk about woolly thinking. Yeah, I just I, I put woolly thinking in there as uh, one of the terms Susan used for this kind of whimsy nonsense, just because I've, woolly thinking is something I haven't really heard outside of this book, but it's, I like it. Um, versus logic. Versus logic. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting character trait of Susan's, I think. I like that he's put it in there because it's the obvious clash between her reality, which is ridiculous, and her yeah. desire for a completely logical, clean universe. Um, and it's a, a lot of it is uh, nature versus nature as well. She was raised to be a Susan and a very logical Susan at that. She was, and she happens to have the mind to be very good at it. Yes. Um, because when you're death, of course, I mean, death's entire thing is calculation and being detached and uh, the whole you, you know, a lot of his kind of dry conversations with the recently deceased are this very detached kind of thing. I should have picked out a couple of quotes from the other books, but that seems like a time-consuming thing. Um, well, I think uh, Reaper Man is a really good example of this, of what can the Harvest mm-hmm. hope for, if not the care of the Reaper Man, is that he does care, but that doesn't mean he needs to care. Yeah. And that's what Reaper Man is kind of him figuring that out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
um but from yeah from a day-to-day basis you can see more and more his um kind of calculating detached nature mm. and i like yeah we we all know a couple of and it's usually guys a couple <laughs> of guys who are very oh emotional liberal arts bullshit blah blah what are you doing that reels before feels facts over emotions <laughs> whatever and refusing to acknowledge the, the reality that the two are inherently intertwined in your reaction to them is based off emotion (laughs) but you cannot 100% separate fact and feeling especially Mm -hmm. because everyone carries their own biases yeah and and it's very it's highlighted well in this book I think Mm. that when you try and just do that ah there's a logical explanation for this you end up ignoring the metaphorical rat with a scythe in front of you yeah Um, or in this case the real rat with the scythe the literal rat with the scythe (laughs) and I think it's really fun watching Susan's journey the journey the journey as she learns to conflate the two the uh the whimsy and the logic yeah yeah and yeah. now she knows that there is this whole other world mm-hmm. uh not world but she knows there is this supernatural side to everything and that she has a foot in it yeah she incorporates that into her logic yeah and i like that pratchett doesn't just make her do a 180 she does incorporate it she broadens her mind enough to let it in she doesn't suddenly become a soppy little thing who goes oh my paws and whiskers you know (laughs) be weird anyway because she doesn't have them but (laughs) I think it's really good writing I think it's very very good character writing and and as I was saying earlier when we were talking about Susan it's uh it's very teenage girl yeah I also like that they've kind of made that the the premise of this school because it's incredibly well-meaning and kind of you can see is progressive for the time period that this is kind of set in. He's yeah. saying, you know, the only guilds that think it's worth training up guilds are the, the thieves and the seamstresses. Mm. Um, and so you can tell it's pretty, you know, men forward environment. But I like, I can see very much the the appeal of teaching the logic, the region, the mathematics, that no messing mm. around to these little girls who elsewhere might be encouraged to only sit down and do nice embroideries of mice holding apple pies or whatever. Yeah. That's weirdly specific, but I'm uh, am I thinking about Red Wall? I'm thinking about Red Wall. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> Aren't we in some way always All thinking, thinking about <laughs> I was thinking about doing a Red Wall themed meal for my birthday and then realised that was way too much effort. Okay. But that we should maybe do it at some point because that sounds like a fun little autumn picnic, a little harvest themed red wall that's picnic. Yeah, yeah, a little red wall little, feast. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Little, okay. Little <laughs> Sorry, we've gone off topic. I'll again. fry a pine cone. <laughs> <laughs> So darling, you braise pine cones. Oh, honestly. of course. I'm sorry, darling. <laughs> Fry porridge, braise cones. <laughs> Eugenics bad. Good. Right. God, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think that's an interesting little theme throughout. I don't have a huge amount to say on it, but I think it's worth looking, looking at, keeping an eye on. I enjoy Susan's uh subtle little character developments through this i think it's very good writing as you say yeah um what's your what's your music yeah let's talk about music all right um i'm bad at talking about music excellent this will go really well then Mm -hmm. there is uh, a line this is very near the end of the section and it's it's when imp starts playing it's when the music really starts Mm -hmm. 
It made you want to kick down walls and ascend the sky on steps of fire. It made you want to pull all the switches and throw all the levers and stick your fingers in the electric socket of the universe to see what happened next. <laughs> it made you want to paint your bedroom wall black and cover it with posters. Okay. I was not allowed to paint my bedroom wall back as a teenager, so instead I just covered it with posters. And I mean, literally every available inch of wall in my bedroom was covered in posters from Kerrang. Oh, that's so sweet. I wanted a bright orange bedroom wall. I wasn't allowed that either. I'm really upset I don't have any pictures of that room because it was, I cannot stress how much there was no clear wall space. Actually, it's probably good I don't have pictures because I'm sure a lot of those musicians are quite problematic now. Yeah, it can't be helped. <laughs> anyway. Um, Teenage you cannot be blamed for the problematic musicians of the mid-2000s. No, absolutely not. But yeah, can you think of any music that's done this for you, that you've heard it for the first time and it's switched something in your brain and you've suddenly gone, ah, I can do everything? Unfortunately, not really. Um, there's there's music that kind of does that for me. And certainly when I was a teenager, uh, like Metallica had that kind of feel for me and um, I don't know, like Muse. Yeah. Um, but for me, the, the times that music has hit me and like in a memorable way for the like when I hear it for the first time always the ones that just make me very emotional make me very sad because I don't often feel I'm gonna sound like a freak of it here but I, I, I don't feel things very hard generally um yeah. and things like a, a physical like gut punch of sadness kind of thing it's always a bit about oh that's Wait, happening you, to me you're like, not necessarily want to cry at a sad tv show unless you're hormonal yeah, or I will sometimes, but I won't really feel a, the sad. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as my therapy. No, um, <laughs> I think it's a bit of an ADHD thing. Um, you, yeah, there's kind of a numbness over a lot of the emotional stuff. But uh, so Johnny, the first version of Hurt I heard was Johnny Cash's, much to our mm. friends' annoyance. Um, because the Nine Inch Nails one's very good as well. But the first version I heard was Johnny Cash, and I remember very clearly because I was 15, 15, yeah, when I first heard that. And it made a big impact on me because I just remember going, oh, oh, I feel I feel in my heart. I feel a physical to this. Um, and the other one that springs to mind is some Oh, Holy Night, as we were saying earlier, the, yeah. the Christmas Carol. Yeah, if you if I if that is played, I will almost always cry. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's nothing to do with the content. You know, I'm not religious. It's the 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 notes the way it's sung I don't know it's it's a physical reaction to sound that I don't often have so it's notable how about you do you feel groove there are particularly this mood the ascending steps of fire uh and sticking your fingers in the plug socket of the universe I can remember quite a lot um I remember being very young my dad was very into his music I've now got his massive vinyl collection sat in my living room yeah and I remember hearing Teenage Wasteland by The Who for the first time. And I can't have been more than about six years old. And it made me want to jump off the back. Yeah. <laughs> it made me want to jump off the back of the sofa and do a flip. I could yeah. not do that. Good. But it, but I wanted to. <laughs> I remember it making me bounce up and down. And then as I got older, you know, when you, you're a teenager and you start picking your own things. So a lot mm-hmm. of the things that have made me feel like this are, I don't know, not cool. Oh, okay. Avril Lavigne. Yeah. I'm going to pick out Avril Lavigne's probably one of those. Queen. Do you know what? Fucking Queen. Everyone takes oh. piss out of me for this, but I used to listen to Queen on repeat as a teenager, and that did give me that way feeling. I remember a uh, brief tangent, but when I was at 
download festival the first time and I think it was the Sunday night and the the whole Sunday night lineup had been amazing it was all these big bands mm. um there were bands I knew odd songs because they were very famous but I quite often didn't know the whole back catalogue so it was like downloads of a metal festival by the way yeah it's, it's, it's a rock and metal festival in the UK it used to be Monsters of Rock it's in Donington and it's always around my birthday as well which is fun um but that like he was like uh, Journey, White Snake, Dream Theater, and Def Leppard was the Sunday. That's a good idea. <laughs> Def Leppard was amazing. But I remember we were walking back, and so there's a crowd of about a thousand, or uh, there was more than a thousand people, but there was this clump mm-hmm. all walking back from the arena to the campsite, and someone started singing Queen. It was someone started singing Killer Queen, mm-hmm. and everyone joined in. And then we did Bohemian Rhapsody and we kind uh-huh. of split down the middle and did harmonies. Yeah. And there was a bit of a moment of silence and everyone reflecting after Bohemian Rhapsody. And I started singing Don't Stop Me Now and everyone got going. Someone picked Yay. me up on their shoulders oh, and ran me around the one. crowd. I got to start fun. one. I was in that crowd. I wasn't with you. I remember doing the singing. Oh, you started that. I like that. Yeah, I started Don't Stop Me Now and it was huge for me yeah I'm not surprised that sounds fucking yeah. amazing especially for like even now you'd be fucking chuffed wouldn't you but teenage girl who's like wanting to be the cool metal head yeah yeah I, don't, I think I mean, I you just were the turned, cool metal head then to be fair so I I just turned 17 I had a shaved head I lived in yeah. massive clumpy boots I looked like a dick <laughs> no you but didn't cool oh do you, no do you know what you're way too hard on your teenage self <laughs> you were very cool I thought you were very cool oh I'm glad we became friends yeah me too <laughs> But yeah, so that was a big thing for me, like Queen and that joy of singing in a crowd when you're a teenager. Yeah. Um, but also things like Def Leppard and getting into the rock music my older friends were into. And that was around the time I read soul music as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think slightly younger, but hearing Girl Anachronism by the Dresden Dolls, just because it was an angry woman beating the shit out of a piano and screaming at it. And there's something <laughs> in it that made me feel very seen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hang on. I don't have to just sit here alone and be sad. I can beat up a piano and uh, scream at it. Like, not literally, but it was like, oh, I can be angry as well as sad. I don't have to be quiet. Yeah. And I think that's that's an important thing to learn when you're a teenage girl. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was very, just to go even less cool, possibly, into the, the pop punk, the good Charlotte, the... um. Um, I loved all of this. Yeah. Green Day I, uh, and all that. But again, I, there was I loved it, and I the thing is, I always sound like I don't like music when I talk about it, but I do. It's just I listen to it, and it's it does get me in certain moods or whatever. But the um, yeah, it's very rare I get the kind of physical gut reaction. But yeah, just shit. Like I've got my ridiculous pop playlist. I always refer to it. It's yeah. stupid, but it genuinely jazzes me up. If I'm a shit me, you're like, yeah, fuck it, finger boys, go. <laughs> I've got. I, I really love to sing as well. And so I have playlists of music that are just really satisfying to sing along to. Like uh, I, I will end up I will end up talking about the song Bat Out of Hell when we get to later in the book, but that is one that like you can't be yeah. unhappy. That's one that plays in the kitchen. You get the whole kitchen singing along in the middle of the rush and you're using tongs as a microphone. And that's we've got to do a, a long road trip together one day. We really do. We'll, we'll we'll drive to Incanton together and we'll uh, put really loud music on and it'll be great. That's the shit. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I love music in general, but there's lots of stuff that has lots of different effects on me. And it does kind of help that music was never, I, I never listened to something because my parents hated it. It was never a rebellion because my mum was always quite cool about, not in a, I'm a cool mum way, but she was just like, she was never snobby about it. Yeah, yeah. So she would, yeah. So she would and she would want to listen to what my sister and I were listening to, and she always got into it. So, you know, our car playlist when she was driving us to school growing up was like uh the Green Day American Idiot album, yeah. uh Lincoln Park, some 41. 
Um, Park, you know, that's one of the that's one of the getting you going angry ones. Some of that, yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, no, I love it. Eminem. Do you know what? I know there's a lot of problematic stuff there, but Eminem did used to kind of get that little spark of rebellion going in me. And as much as it's problematic, I probably would have never got quite so into writing and performing poetry if it wasn't for growing up listening to, yes, like cooler and more interesting rap. Like you know, my dad's t- tastes were very diverse. And uh, I also sort of grew up with Run DMC and stuff from the 90s hip hop scene. But it was also Eminem and Jay-Z and the album he did with Linkin Park that made me go, oh, you can do this clever stuff with words and put it to a beat and be quick and... Mm-hmm. That that all very much stuck with me. Yeah. Speaking of problematic, are we going to vaguely, at least, mention there are some shit bits in this section? Yeah. I didn't see your purple poster. Today. Worth mentioning, Ratchet coming at us again with a little racial tropes there. Uh, yeah. It did not escape our it did not escape our notice, but I couldn't think of a lot to say that we didn't say last time this came up. So yeah, I, I come on, do better. Um, and then. That's veered us into a serious topic, so take us into our last and depressing section, Joanna. Yeah, we've been recording for quite a while, so I'm not going to go into a massive bit of detail about this, but as I've been looking at these books and where they trade off where we've been before at this point, uh, talking about death and grief and especially forgetting, Mm -hmm. we're coming to this, as far as death story up goes, from the back of Reaper Man. Yeah, yeah. And... This is obviously not immediately after the event. There was because everyone has died normally in the last few books. So we can assume he sort of went back to work for a bit. Yeah. Um, but his his acknowledgement at the start that I could have been there. I could have done and, something, yeah. Yeah. And we'll see sort of how that cycles back around. So I don't really want to go into it, but mm. his determination considering this is coming kind of off the back of Reaper Man, of him having this what's it all about, really, and then trying to forget. Yeah. And where in Reaper Man, he's, what he's trying to do is be human so he can, un- it, it, arguably, because he wants to understand the harvest from the harvest point of view. Yeah. Once he became aware that that was something he could try and do, it kind of, it was like almost unbearable not to curiosity. And also he's sort of becoming aware of his own mortality because he knows that the auditors are trying to replace him. Mm. Um, Whereas here, his motivation is not trying to be human. He just wants the human ability to forget. He doesn't want to remember the things that have happened and he doesn't want to remember the things that will happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's sort of neatly paralleled with the really beautiful depictions of, of grief and writing about grief that we had in Reaper Man to get Susan's moment of grief where she doesn't really react to finding out that she's lost her parents. Yeah. Because she doesn't really know how. Yeah. And uh, the, the de- depiction discussion of the normal human way of reacting is there was shock and tears and then eventually it was over because people had ways of dealing with it. There was a sort of script built into the human mind and life went on. Yeah. Whereas Susan's reaction is to sort of skip the script. Yeah. And think, think about it. And think like, about no, it. No, I expect I will want to react to this at some point. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Which is, again, I, I keep bringing it around to how depressing my life is, but I, I lost a parent at a young age and that is kind of how I at least reacted. It was sort of a, I know I am very sad about this, but I don't really quite know how to be sad about this. Yeah. 
yeah it's a bit yeah a bit big for a kid to deal with and what actually happened when my sister and I got the news is we went home and we played Spyro and listened to some 41 yeah you've kind of meant, meant to be lowered into it gently with the death of a pet or something aren't you and then yeah one day deal with real grief but yeah no for a little kid to go straight into parental loss a bit of a fucking I'm yeah and I'm, I'm not saying this on this big... one aren't we yeah, yeah sorry no, you're all right. I, <laughs> I, I was think, thinking aloud. I don't yeah. want to forget to put it in. <laughs> but yeah, and, and I don't mean to sort of bring down the horrible mood of the podcast, but I think it's... Don't want to bring down the, the horrible mood. <laughs> bring the, the already pod- terrible episode. I don't want to make it worse. <laughs> I think it's very well written. Yeah. And again, Pratchett is just very good at people. And mm-hmm. with that, I think I've reached my limit of sounding intelligent. Francine, please tell me you've got an obscure reference, finial of sorts. I do, but before we go to that one, actually, I just want to recommend Oliver Sacks as uh, an author of somebody who writes about various neurological things. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very good writer, very good. Uh, and his book, I think it was The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, I think it was in that one, yeah. uh, has some bits about people who can't forget things and how damaging that can be. I like the raven, thank you. Nice raven there. Um, just joining in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's cool. You're right, guys. <laughs> sorry audio audio format yeah um <laughs> anyway my recommendation of the week is go read some oliver Sacks if you're interested about what not forgetting things can do to a mind yeah, spoiler not always great mm. um yeah anyway obscure reference finial yes he's talking about imp and his new harp at the time when he's just fallen out with his dad uh but he's like gods like people like this it is said that whosoever the gods wish to destroy, they first make mad. Um, I was like, is it said? Is it said? Where's it said? So I looked it up. And uh, yes, it's been said for quite some time, in fact. The saying in its exact-ish um, is 17th century, um, but has classical origins. Um, the a close version to the modern version is... Uh, Greek Pro- Procopius Procopius Prosopius Procopius. Procopius thank you um it says who whenever he purposes that some adversity shall befall a man touches first his reason and then it's brought back in all the uh, 17th 18th century classical callbacks and then it's used all the time so yeah basically also gods make people mental before they destroy them go full yeah it's kind of weird that it kept being brought back actually because it makes sense for the greek pantheon because they are you know canonically a bunch of twats but um christians tend to try and paint their god in a nicer light don't they (laughs) i feel like whenever the classics refer to gods in any way they're still basically (laughs) referring to the greek pantheon yeah yeah i think yes yeah but they're, they're more suited to the dramatics aren't they yeah um and then I've just got a little bonus, silly, obscure reference, finial, and it's on page 113 for me. It's talking about the the house of the rich guy that Su- Susan's first yeah. empty. Uh, and it says something about, you can tell he's got more money than sense because the, the house has too many cornices and mullions. I was like, ah, oh, mullions, eh? Some mullion. Some mullion. It's a little slender divider in a um, in like a window arch. So if you think of like an art window like that. Yeah like built into stone or something and then you've got that little column that little slender column on some of them it's like a yeah it's almost a gothic thing that's the mullion yeah so i put that in there because it, it's reminiscent of the whole finial that started it all 
Excellent. Love the call. Well, the finial at the beginning, as it were. Sorry. Gosh. I Sorry, think we shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Please keep that in the podcast. <laughs> Was that an outside thought? Okay. I think at this point we have rambled as much as we can. Well, that's not yeah. entirely true. No, but I'm <laughs> hungry. I'm hungry. Can we stop? <laughs> I've got to go and make 20 pancakes. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Two Shall Make You Fret. We'll be back next week on my birthday. Oh, yeah. It's not coming out my birthday. We're going to record on my birthday part two of Soul Music. Yeah. Might wear a hat. 10th of June, if anyone wants to send Joanna annoying tweets on that day. Please tweet me happy birthday. My birthday should be a national holiday. We're working on it. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, however, however, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make Fret, on Twitter at Make Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make Fret. You can join our subreddit, r slash TTSMYF. You can email us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, and snacks, the True Shall Make Fret Pod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the True Shall Make Fret and exchange your hard-earned pennies for all sorts of bonus nonsense. And I will say, this is probably quite a good month to sign up to Castles and Snacks because I have got lots of nonsense planned. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, patron joiners can now look at two bonus episodes as well as all the video stuff we put out. So we've got something on landscape architecture, something on nuclear semiotics, and then for the, yeah, the higher Castles and Snacks tiers, Joanna's got dramatics. She puts dramatics in that tier. I put dramatics in there. I'll think of something useful to put in there one day. You wait. You wait. I've got talent. I'll find it. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of talent. And in the meantime, dear listener, don't let us detain you. Cool. Guys, it got really hot in this room. I'm freezing when I came in. Yeah, it's kind of roasting in here, despite the fact that it's fucking humid, horrible outside. Humid. I think it's all humid. the rain. The rain's hit the heat, and now, now it's now it's, it's Englandy muggy. Yay! Oh god, it's going to be hard to sleep tonight. I might just not stay up all night. What do I have to do tomorrow? Oh, edit this. All right, maybe I'll go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs>